What makes a great leader great? How do we create a high-performing team? And when we say leader, we mean everyone, because everyone is leading their own life. Will yours be a life by design or a life by default? Those are the big questions, and this podcast will answer them. Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast, where we help you apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders, because great leaders will produce great results. Okay, welcome back to our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you're at in the world. We consider you to be our family and our friends, and so grateful that you're making the time to invest in this today. This is actually a really important podcast. Before I introduce Steve, you know, this is something that I become much more aware of, and I'll get into what that is here in the podcast, but this is a topic I've become much more aware of over the last few months and years, and how pervasive not only diabetes is, but what we eat and put into our bodies and how that impacts us in so many different ways. And this is going to be a very eye-opening podcast. These are not things that I knew about a year ago, and a lot of these are going to be new for our listeners and will impact you in many different ways. Whether this is something that reaches you directly or whether it's a family member or a friend, this is going to have an impact on everybody who's listening to this podcast. So this is going to be a fun one. It's going to open some eyes and really cause us to think. And so with that being said, I want to introduce our guest, Steve Sherrington. He is a close personal friend. He's been a doctor for decades. Great, great man. Involved in so many different endeavors in our community in making a difference. He's been a coaching client of ours for two years, and I've just really had the chance to get to know him on a personal level. And he is truly a great man, a man of character at really every level, you know, personal in his relationships with the practice. He started as one of the founders of Premier Family Medical. It's a conglomerate of doctors that just an amazing group of people. And I had a chance to meet with most of those doctors a few months ago. And Steve is really one of the pioneers, I'll call it, in, in a new effort to focus on diabetes. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, not just diabetes, but the impact that our food and what we eat and everything else has on our body. So with that being said, as a very brief introduction, Steve, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. I'm so happy to be here. This is actually my first time, but I'm uh, really excited to, uh, to get going and do this. I get a little bit animated, so I have to, <laughs> I have to warn you about this topic. I, I get a little excited. My my staff at my office sometimes have to open the doors and, and pull me out when I'm talking to patients about this. For our listeners, there's a reason he gets excited about this. You will too as, as this podcast goes on when you hear what he has to say, especially for those who have already been touched by this disease. And so, Steve, let's get into this. Walk through, for our listeners' sake, how you got up to this point. And, you know, not only a little brief glimpse into your background, but why we're talking about what we're talking about on this podcast, which is diabetes, what we eat, the impact that it has on our life, especially as we age and grow older. So how did you get to this point? So a little bit about how I got here was I've been practicing uh, family medicine for 25 years now. Over the years, I realized that I became somewhat complacent and just kind of following the norms and giving medications like most doctors do or like I had learned to do and treating illnesses uh, I guess, just just like everybody does. And I noticed with several conditions, and I'd been in practicing for a while, and so anyone, I think, in their career gets to the point where they think, okay, what, what more can I do? And when I became a coaching client, that became even more ingrained in me. What more can I do? How can I make a bigger difference? And that came down to deciding on a few conditions that had always given me issues during 
my practice, things that I hadn't known what to do. People would come in and they'd say, hey, I have this. Can you help me with this? And I would say, uh, 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 you know, I don't know. Or I would put them off or give them a referral that I didn't know really if it would help them. So I chose three conditions over the years have began to develop things to be able to treat those effectively. The first one actually was uh, drug addiction. I had people come in and they were addicted to prescription pain medicines or heroin or something, just would kind of sit there. I didn't know really what to do. So I developed a program to do that. The next was obesity and developed a program to treat that and, and make me feel comfortable that I was actually helping someone. And then that has gone into treating type 2 diabetes and doing it differently and, and making people think about what really is type 2 diabetes and how should we be treating it, not based on what the pharmaceutical companies are telling us is the way to treat it, but how we should be treating it, reversing the condition, the, the reason, the way that it happened, we got to reverse it, not just make it worse. And, and we'll get into more of that, I hope. And, and this, is, uh, this is horribly important. So diabetes mellitus is what the condition is called. I don't know if it'll be interesting to anyone, but diabetes means siphon and mellitus means sweet. And so siphon, it was kind of a, they thought that urinating was siphoning. And it, way back when, they would actually taste the urine and it tasted sweet. So they, <laughs> they you know, it, it became the name diabetes mellitus. <laughs> I don't know if that's here, here or there, but it, it does affect so many people. It's thought that in the world, there's probably 500 million people that have diabetes. Interestingly, 46% of those people don't know they have it. And so if you look at 10% of all people is what it's thought have it. If 10% have it, then probably, I don't know, actually 50, 60, 70% of people, maybe 100% of people know someone or have someone in their family or somehow is affected by this disease. And that's, Steve, is a great introduction to this is you and I have gotten the chance to visit about this a lot. One of the things that's become very quickly apparent, and I really didn't know this, you know, prior to these discussions with you was, and we'll get into these in a lot of detail, but this is why this applies to every one of our listeners. And I would invite you as a listener to share this with the people who matter most in your life. Share this podcast, send it to them in an email, send them a text with this link, because what I've learned about this is that this is not like a light switch. Uh, you know, Steve, you just mentioned what percentage of people did you say don't even know that they have it currently? It's thought to be 45 to 50% of people have diabetes, but they don't know it. So on that point, what I've learned about this is that this is something that slowly develops over time in many cases. And there are a huge number of things that we can do right now, wherever we're at in our life, to stem this off, to pivot away from it and prevent it from showing up in our lives. Or even once diagnosed with it, this is what's exciting about this podcast. There are ways to treat it that are so different than the ways that it has been treated up to this point. So this is a podcast for everyone. We invite you to share this because it's going to touch a lot of people. Another one of our coaching clients, I won't share a name, but he just found out last week that he has type 2 diabetes. He went to the emergency room. I mean, it was drooling, if I understand correctly, out one side of his mouth. They didn't know what was going on. And that really shook his world. And so I'm actually going to connect him and Steve shortly so they can have a good discussion on this. But the point is, this is a podcast for everyone. It's not someone who has been diagnosed and is now trying to solve it. This is for everyone. So with that being said, Steve, let's start from the beginning. What is diabetes as a hint? I mean, here, type one, type two, what does that mean? Okay. First of all, I'm going to, I'm just going to interject something. That story you just told about your other coaching client, 
if I had a nickel for every time I'd heard that same story, <laughs> I could retire because that's how it happens all the time. And there are so many signs that happened before. And the reality is this is not that hard to treat before it happens and even early on after um, someone's diagnosed. But uh, so getting to your question, there's type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is a complete failure of the pancreas in each of our bodies to produce insulin. Now, insulin is really what we're going to be talking about. It's hugely important. When we hear insulin, we think, oh, yeah, I know someone that gives themselves a shot of insulin. Well, yeah, they, they do. But the reality is our bodies produce insulin and, and really keep us alive. People with type 1 diabetes, they have to take insulin or they die. So really, we are not talking about uh, type 1 diabetes here. We are specifically talking about type 2 diabetes. Now, every patient that I counsel on this, I ask them, do you know what type 1 is? Do you know what type 2 is? And everybody has kind of an idea. They say type 1, oh, you get that when you're a kid and you have to take insulin. Type 2, your pancreas just isn't making enough insulin or you're insulin resistant. And they'll answer many things. But I'm going to explain what type 2 diabetes because it's, it's really, really important. And it's completely the opposite. Sometimes I actually think that maybe it shouldn't even be called diabetes. I mean, they should have two separate names because they are so different. Type 2 diabetes is actually the cells in the body that need to absorb glucose to be able to function, to be able to get energy. They become resistant to the effects of insulin. If you think of a lock and a, a key and a lock, insulin is the key that opens the lock so that glucose can go into the cell. If glucose doesn't go into our cells, we die. And so if we don't have insulin, then that, like I said, was type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes, we have insulin, but the cell is resistant to that insulin. The effect is almost the same as not having any, but the cell is resistant. And some goes in, and as we'll talk a little bit later, the body has a way of compensating for that insulin resistance of each cell. So really, type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance of our cells, and it's not really a lack of insulin. This is kind of fascinating because it is one of those times where you can say that type 2 diabetes is a lack of insulin. If someone says, is it a lack of insulin? You say, yeah, it's a lack of insulin. And then if you say it's too much insulin, yes, it's actually too much insulin also. Okay. So it's... It's kind of the dichotomy that's fascinating. Yeah, so a little difference. Obviously, type 1 is something that's a true, true, and I don't want to say type 2 is not a true medical condition. Like you said, they're two completely different things. Yes. Type 1, there is a prescribed approach type 2. You're now going to suggest a very different way to treat type 2 than has been done in the past. So two questions. Number one, what leads people up to getting type 2 diabetes? Because type 1 is something more that happens. It happens, you know, like you said. Type 2 is something that builds over time, it seems like and people develop type 2 diabetes. So number one, how does that happen? And how has it been treated in the past? Because we're going to focus the rest of this podcast on how to treat it with this new, exciting approach that you're talking about that can actually heal people from it. But I want to get into how has it been treated traditionally so that we can see the alternatives. So number one, how do people typically develop type 2 diabetes? And then number two, how has it been treated in the past? I typically sketch this out 
and it helps my my lack of words sometimes, but I'm gonna I'm going to describe it in words. If you think of a cell in the body, and we'll just we'll think of one cell as being our whole body. Okay, that cell has to have insulin to survive, to be able to bring energy or glucose into that cell. Well, because of multiple factors that aren't terribly important right now, but that cell becomes resistant to the effects of insulin. So it's just as the body will become, will start producing from reasons that we'll talk about, will start producing too much insulin, which makes the cell resistant. It's no different than let's take someone that has become addicted or dependent on opioid medications. We know if uh, they take one pill, then they feel the effects of it. But over time, the body becomes resistant and they have to take more and more and more and more. With my experience in in treating drug addiction, you know, I've never, ever heard of anyone who was on one dose and their body didn't become resistant and they needed more and more and more. The cells in the body are no different from this. So would it be true to say, and then and then you can get into how it's treated, because I know you're going to get into a lot of details after yeah. this. Yeah. Would it be true to say that one of the primary contributors to this, you know, increased production of insulin would be diet, lack of exercise, yeah. things like exactly, that? Exactly, exactly where I was going. So every time we put something in our mouths and we eat, the body produces insulin. If we're doing that way too much and doing it way too frequently, then insulin increases and it stays elevated all the time. It's not any different from the person who is taking too many opioids and becoming resistant. The body becomes resistant from the insulin that they're giving themselves, that the pancreas produces because of eating. And and really, it's not so much how much eating, it's more a factor of how often eating. We're continually body with insulin by us eating, then that's where the resistance comes from. The body will then say, oh, I need more insulin. The pancreas says, okay, or I need more glucose. The bloodstream has a lot of glucose in it, and that glucose needs to get into the cell, but the cell is saying, no, we can't can't have any more glucose. And so the pancreas says, oh, I know how I can make you get more glucose into the cell. I'll make more insulin. And then that process just keeps building, building, building until the pancreas can't make any more insulin to get the glucose into the cell. Which literally becomes a death spiral. Absolutely. It's, it's yep. just, it, it just goes down and down and down from there. So with that as the foundation, how has it been treated in the past? Perfect question. So as our pancreas gets to the point where it can't produce any more insulin, then the we're, we continue to eat and glucose continues to enter the bloodstream, you go to the doctor, they test your blood sugar, it's high, we say you're diabetic. And so we begin to put you on medications. Those medications traditionally are pills. We start with pills. Well, what do all these pills do? All these pills tell the pancreas to make more insulin. Furthering the death spiral. Furthering the spiral. It just makes it worse and worse. So then person gets one pill, the body makes more insulin, but then the body becomes more resistant. Goes back to the doctor a few months or a year or two years, or it's, it's usually not that long, and needs another pill because the body's become more, more resistant. The pill is given, pancreas makes more insulin, and then the body becomes more resistant. I mean, you can see where I'm going here, and it's more and more and more pills. 
then traditionally what is done is when all the pills are exhausted, because everybody's resistant to actually be put on insulin. So when the pills are exhausted and they're just not working anymore, which it always happens in 25 years, I've never, ever seen anyone get better from type 2 diabetes. They continually need more medications. In the traditional approach, the old approach. Traditional approach, right. So when those pills are exhausted, person goes into the doctor, still not under control, and then the doctor gives insulin. Well, there's no limit to the harm I can cause when I'm giving insulin to a type 2 diabetic because I can give them as much as I mean, I can give, I have, I've had patients that are 150, 200 units of insulin per day. Now, not everybody can know how much that is, but that's a lot. Hmm. So I continue to give more and more and more insulin and they, the person becomes more and more and more resistant. So it's just a, it's just a prolonging the fight. So with that being the old way, which it sounds frustrating, it is frustrating. And anyone who's experienced this, certainly frustrating. So what's the, what's the switch that is flipped? So there's been a big difference in the way you're approaching this now versus the traditional approach. Talk about the impact that number one, that's had on your patients, your current patients. And what is that approach? So right now I have uh, well over a hundred patients and I've been doing this since. With diabetes, uh, right? No, that have switched over. I have way more than that. I just haven't seen them in the last nine months. So in, in the last nine months, everybody that's come in, I've talked to them about this and, and we've changed them to this new approach. And this new approach, we have to think of type 2 diabetes as being a dietary problem. We can't solve the problem with a medication answer. We need to solve the problem with a dietary answer. Isn't the insulin just a, a treatment of the symptom? It's treatment. It's like a band-aid. Yeah, it's a treatment of the symptom of insulin resistance. So yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but it's just such a good All point because right. doctors around the world right now are still following that traditional approach by and large. So this is what we've all been waiting for, the new approach. Yeah. So when we start to think about it as a dietary problem, then we have to have a dietary answer. And what I'm teaching people is this dietary answer. It's going to sound horribly, horribly simple, but it, it, it actually is. People do amazingly well. They come off their medications. I'm going to go through the four steps right now of what people need to do to actually stop their medications. Now, I think that it's best if someone's under the care of a physician that that does this frequently to be able to monitor them as they're coming off their medications because there could be a few little scary things that happen. But the four things, if we look at this dietary-wise, number one, we need to begin eating fewer times per day. So I teach my patients to eat twice a day, and that's all. No snacks. No, nothing, not a fiber bar, not an energy drink, not a shake, not anything. And they choose two times per day that they're going to eat within an eight-hour period. And then between those times, then they have nothing but water. And that means between the eight hours and then the 16 hours that follow the second meal to the first meal of the next day. That makes sense, but absolutely no snacking. So you could say, for example... One meal at 10 a.m., the next meal at an eight-hour window would be 6 p.m., and then nothing right. until 10 a.m. the next morning. Exactly. So I, I, I usually tell people, you know, you choose. It could be 12 and 8, 1 and 9, 10 and 6, 7 and seven and 3, 
what, whatever they want, but an eight-hour period of time, nothing in between. That's the first thing. Can you explain, Steve, just briefly the reasoning why? You explained it to me, and oh. I thought that was so yeah. valuable to understand, like the insulin spikes and comes back down. And Absolutely. So the, the reason why is because, as we talked about earlier, every time we eat, our pancreas makes insulin. And if we don't have insulin, like we said, we die. So we're eating twice a day. Insulin goes up. And it spikes usually with a regular meal. It's, it goes up for six hours and then comes back down. Then eight hours later, we do that again. We eat and insulin goes up and comes back down. And so instead of having insulin elevated from eating all day long and snacking, like sometimes we're told to do, eat, eat six to eight small meals a day, well, that's increasing the insulin six to eight times per day. Here we're doing it twice. So we're helping get rid of the high insulin levels that we have all day long, which helps get rid of the resistance. And this was new to me, Steve, because what you were talking about there when you illustrated this for me when we were together is traditionally what many people do is, yeah, they just snack. And I say they, we (laughs) snack throughout the day. We eat just throughout the day. And so if you were to map the insulin, it's basically staying spiked all the time. Hence why the cells are developing this resistance to it. And so- ultimately leading type two, there's never this chance for the insulin to come back down versus what you're suggesting. It can spike, but then it comes back down and there's a reprieve. So now we're lowering that resistance. Correct. And then now I'm going to talk, the three next steps are are further steps to help um, decrease the resistance. So the idea here is we're trying to make our insulin be low for the shortest period of time that we possibly can. So our insulin is way low for the longest period of time. The second thing is no sugar. I tell them you you can't have sugar at all and and you can't have sweeteners. And this really works. Now I'm going to talk about two and three together because they really have the same effect on the body. Number three is no white flour. Now the problem with sugar and white flour is that they are so highly refined that when we eat them, and they enter the body and get to the part of the intestine where the pancreas interprets how much insulin it should make, it makes way too much insulin. And so the insulin spikes way too high, higher than with a normal meal. And if the insulin spikes too high, then it's going to take a longer period of time for that insulin to go away. So it's not just the roughly six hours with a normal meal. And I I use an analogy for this, and, and I think it's probably okay, but we know that gasoline is highly refined. If we take gasoline and throw it on fire, well, we obviously know what's going to happen. You know, it just goes, goes crazy and blows up. It's the same with our pancreas. It just creates way too much insulin mm. for really the amount of product that we've eaten. Okay, okay so, so those me, are the, that's rule two and three. So number, just to bring us up to number one, two, three. So number one is two meals a day, eight hours apart. Eight, 16 eating. Okay, eight, 16 eating. I like that. That's easy to remember. Eating. Number two, no sugars, which obviously that's going to be a big shift. Got to add in there, Rob, too, no sweeteners. And no sweeteners. Sweeteners are hugely important because even saccharin, stevia, all the sweeteners, even honey or agave or all these sweeteners, some of them don't make the blood sugar go very high, but they really really make insulin spike. Hmm. And that's what we're trying to prevent. And then number three was the no, was it white flour process? What was it? White flour. Yeah. yeah. So number three, no white flour. flour. Yeah. Okay. If something's whole grain and it actually says on the label, 
this is whole grain, you know, whatever the grain is, it's okay. But we have to remember it's only okay during those two meals. So number four. Number four, one time per week, I ask my patients for a period of 24, 36, or 48 hours to fast. So a lot. It's, this is being called a lot. If you look online and things, it's called water fasting. So you can drink water, but no food whatsoever. No, no nothing with any caloric content. How about that herbal tea or anything like that? Up. So coffee, tea, those are okay. And and sometimes people will do bone broth. I like it, but a lot of people don't okay. like that kind of thing. That's okay. No caloric content doesn't make insulin go up at all. So we stay hydrated during this period of time, but we're keeping our insulin very low once a week for a prolonged period of time. This is one of the keys of of treating type 2 diabetes because it makes insulin resistance go away very, very quickly. It's amazing, really. And what kind of success? I mean, this isn't just something that is a theory at this point. You've you've done this now with many of your patients. So what kind of success have you seen with your actual patients? So I have over 100 patients with type 2 diabetes so far in this nine months that are doing this. I have one patient that we found that had undiagnosed type 1 diabetes. So they were being treated as a type 2 for years and years. When we took them off of their medication, we realized, nope, this person's actually a type 1 diabetic. That's one out of over 100. I have two more people that... I just have not been able to get control of by stopping their medications. There's some newer conditions and they have a lot of different names and I'm not even familiar with all of them, but more or less they call it 1.5 diabetes, type 1.5, where the pancreas truly is not producing enough insulin. So that's two out of, we're we're talking 2% of the people that I've treated so far haven't, you know, we found other reasons that they're not doing, but everyone else is doing very, very well. The oldest person I have is 85 years old. And I don't actually, I don't know the age of the youngest, but uh, (laughs) many patients that are doing this. So basically up to this point, 97% out of the, so we'll just say out of a hundred, even though there's more than a hundred, 97% are off of their medication with this shift, just applying those four steps that you just talked about. It's amazing. it's really astounding. I, I couldn't believe it initially. What's been interesting, Steve, is how many doctors are still so skeptical about this. But yet, even some of the peers, you know, here in the Valley and other places are starting to see this and say, what's going on? You know, how, how come this is having such a big impact? And seeing that the, the traditional approach is certainly uh, not the best approach. I do want to bring up one thing, and that is, you know, if someone's going to do this, and hopefully they will if it applies to them, if they are in a position where they currently have type 2 diabetes that they do do this under the care of a doctor, and especially a doctor who understands the things that you've talked about. Because there is those 1% or 2% you know, scenarios where there's something that maybe is out of the norm. So just to highlight right. that. Obviously, there are some, there are some caveats and some, and, and some other things that we are doing, small things, to make sure that people are, are staying okay during this phase as they're going off their medications and we, we touch base with them frequently. We have them call us. We call them and make sure they're comfortable and uh, so, being off their medications. It's kind of a, it's kind of a mindset. You know, you've been, people have been told for, for many, many years that, oh, you got to take this medicine or you're going to die. So it's, it's very foreign concept to think that, oh no, I'm all of a sudden going to come off my medicines. 
Yeah, it's a big shift. And <laughs> it, it works, though. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Yeah. And so, you know, part of this is having the right doctor, someone who understands this and is not totally set in their old ways. One of the things I found when it comes to doctors and pilots and everything else is they're not all created equal. You know, with pilots, there's great pilots, there's a lot of good pilots, and then there's a handful of bad pilots. With doctors, there's a handful of great doctors, there's a lot of good doctors, and there's a handful of bad doctors. It's same with almost any profession, right? Marketing, yeah. sales, same across the board. So if someone's in this situation or they have a family member or friend who's in this situation and the current doctor is not really helping them, this is a great chance for them to, you know, find more information about what you're talking about there, potentially even find you, talk with you. I know you're putting together some online courses down the road to help people who aren't, you know, geographically in the same area. So as we get ready to wrap up this podcast, number one, I'm going to have you share what you have put together. Where can people learn more? But before we do that, just as we get ready to wrap up, how did you come across all of this information? I mean, you talked about that pivot point a little bit. You alluded to that. You focused on these three areas, and we've only touched on one of those three today. It'd be fun to do another podcast on those other, on those other yeah. two. Yeah, that would be interesting. But how did you come across this information? Just so, so people can kind so of get a sense we, of that. One of the, you know, I, I decided on those three, three things that had given me trouble throughout my career. And one of those I came across the resolution to or or help to, I guess, with the drug addiction, just kind of happenstance. I, I found that and and began doing that. With the obesity and the treatment of the type two diabetes, it, it actually started when I I went to the first Becoming Your Best and and we were challenged to read. And so I began just reading and I had never been a reader. And I began reading voraciously, sometimes two and three books a month. I think the first the first year, year and a half, you know, I would just read everything I could get my hands on. And I came across some people talking about this kind of thing. And then and as I put a piece from one book and another piece from another book and and ideas and began looking them up online and seeing other people that that did this the world kind of opened up and I go, Oh, wait a minute. There's a different way to do this. You know, that's completely different than what pharmaceutical companies have told me for 25 years. So I think the answer is the short answer to that is reading. Isn't that a powerful habit? I mean, it totally powerful. separate podcast, but you've heard us quote these statistics before as a listener, 43% of college graduates never read another book the rest of their life. And I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation. It sounds like had you not started that habit again of reading and man, it can have that kind of impact in anybody's life. It just fires up the brain. It's such a powerful habit. So I'm glad you came back to that. that yes. <laughs> and it's no surprise. Things like that happen when we're reading. It just, it activates the brain. So Steve, I mean, we've already been going for 35 minutes. We could go oh, easily for another, <laughs> we could go for another 35 more. No problem. Probably. It feels like we barely scratched the surface on this. So just to summarize here, so the four things, I'll just use it as, you know, the lay terms of a, of a lay person here, so to speak. Yeah. Number one is eating two times a day with the purpose of spiking the insulin and then having it come back down and be able to reset eight hours apart. So 10 to six, whatever the time is that works for the person, and then not eating again until that next window. So eight hours right. in between. Number two is no sugars, no sweeteners. Three, no White processed bread, if it's whole grain, that's okay if it's true whole grain. And number four is a weekly fast of 24 to 48 hours, 24, 36, or 48 hours. Are those the four primary things that... That's the four primary things. 
and people say, that's all I need to do to stop all my medicines. And, and I say, that's all you need to do. If, you, if, you, if you're going to do it, you know, faithfully and, and with the intent of really getting rid of the diabetes, that's all you need to do. And then we tweak from there. But yeah. And then there's obviously scenarios. Well, and, and that's where we could talk for a lot longer. This is the baseline. Oh, this yeah. is the foundation for people to get started. And now the hope of this podcast is that there's an awareness that people know that there's hope. You know, they're not just condemned to this life of taking medicine until they die, that this is something that's treatable, it's curable, and that there's a way forward out of this. So pretty exciting to anyone that's touched this. And like we started the podcast, you know, if it's something that hasn't touched a particular person or family up to this point, there's a fair chance that it will down the road. And so what we do with our eating habits now and everything else will have an impact down the road in helping prevent all of this so it doesn't show up in the first place. So, Steve, I know that you're creating some resources right now. You're in the process of that to help people, to give them more details on everything we've talked about, to go in a lot deeper than the things that we've been able to cover on this podcast. So where could they learn more about this and get some of those resources? So I, I've realized that over the past nine months, I, I, I talk about this so often during my office visits. And, and many times I don't have time. The, the person doesn't come in for that. And so I don't have time to talk about it. So I have created these resources where people can go and just get them at any time. And you can go to teachable.pfmweightloss.com. And it'll take a, it'll link right to the classes that I have that teach this and in, in more in depth and in with video and PowerPoint presentations and things. So teachable.pfmweightloss.com. Is that right? That's correct. Teachable.pfmweightloss.com. Okay. Well, Steve, any parting thoughts? Well, the, there is one thing I'm thinking right now. You know, it was just two days ago. I had the opportunity that I could have taught this 10 times in, in the eight hours that I was doing work. I, uh, people had come in for only five, five times. So I actually taught it five times, but they have an opportunity to teach it 10 times. And it, it's incredible. It, I love it because it works. Well, and, and you're people changing feel lives. better. People get better. I mean, our, our coaching client, who I know is going to listen to this podcast, I'm going to share it with him. This just rocked his world last week. I mean, completely oh, rocked absolutely. his world. And this is something that wasn't even on the radar. And so, boy, when it hits, it hits. And this is what's so exciting. And I know we've said this, but it just simply is, is this is treatable. It's curable. There's a way forward and people don't have to be condemned to that fate. So thanks so much for being on this podcast, Steve. A lot of thoughts, deep thinking probably occurring in some people's minds. Uh, but what's exciting is they have a way forward. So thanks to all our listeners. We hope you have a fabulous day and a great week wherever you're at in the world. Thank you for listening. Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life, in your family, or in your organization? Call us today at 888-690-8764 to speak with a helpful representative to evaluate your situation and how we can help. Or you can visit becomingyourbest.com. Whether it's a corporate training event, keynote, workshop, trainer certification, or personal coaching, it would be our pleasure to serve your needs. Once again, call 888-690-8764 or visit becomingyourbest.com today.